Skating past 7 o'clock. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And shakeups in the NBA. A lot to talk about tonight with Ira. Ira, you're not in studio with us, though. Uh, where are you right now? I'm in uh, New York in, uh, in the Hamptons. So it was interesting. I was waiting for maybe Kawhi Leonard would make his decision here, like Kevin Durant did three years ago, but uh, he actually did not. He was not in the Hamptons to make his decision. <laughs> you were, though, uh, definitely taking in uh, some of those nice New York summers. Ira, so much to get into tonight. Um, first and foremost, you know, before we talk about that, where have you been? You said this was going to be one of your slower weeks. No baseball this week, but I'll have baseball next week. I was thinking about going to the All-Star game. I've been to five All-Star games. I'd love to go to it, but I think I'm going to, the Yankees are going to be in town at the end of this week, and I'm going to go to a Yankee game on, uh, on for Friday night. So, Ira, um, you know, I, I want to talk about um, the, you know, everything that transpired from this weekend. But first, there's a song that we can uh, go ahead and play, and this, this means a little bit to you <laughs> right now, and uh, it's coming on right now. So, Ira, why does Semisonic and Closing Time kind of come together for you with this weekend in the NBA? Well, I mean, the entire weekend, the Kawhi Leonard decision has been, I mean, really it's earth-shattering. I mean, the fact that every free agent almost made their decision last week. We talked about it on Monday's show. And then we waited the entire week for Kawhi Leonard, the two-time MVP of the finals, uh, some consider the number one player in basketball right now, had not made a decision. It was down to three teams and three semi-exciting teams. Toronto, the team that won the title, the defending, uh, reigning and defending champions, or to the Lakers, create the greatest super team ever formed with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, or go to the Clippers. And it seemed like the Clippers were out of it. I mean, I had predicted, uh, before when this all started, I said he's going to Clippers. I felt that tea leaves said that he does not want to play for the Lakers, did not want to play for LeBron, did not want the bright lights of being a Laker, even though they play in the exact same arena. I felt that he sort of liked the Clippers and not the Lakers. Did like the drama that went on with the Lakers. Didn't care about the drama. Didn't want to be part of that drama. But as, as this... You know, it's hard to read these tea leaves. I mean, he said, he goes, if the rumors get out of what, what conversations are, then uh, I won't go there. And you heard, but he never made any comments. And Kyle Leonard does not give interviews, uh, doesn't even tweet, doesn't Instagram, Facebook, nothing. He is one of the quietest superstars ever in terms of sports. And so the whole weekend I'm checking my phone, checking my phone, reading. I mean, it's like every... 30 seconds, it seems like. I'm not just checking, but going to the website, trying to find rumors, trying to see what it's going, trying to understand things, what was happening. I mean, we knew on Monday he met with the Clippers. We knew on Tuesday he met with the Lakers. Then he goes to Toronto, and there's this he had, a, he had a black Ford Bronco, not a white Ford Bronco or whatever, as he's going through a landing in Toronto, and they're following him around. And then when he landed in Toronto, though, and then I was expecting, Jalen Rose went on and said, 99% sure he's going to sign with the Raptors uh, with a two-year deal. And, that's what, and other people started feeling it's going to be Toronto because he left the Clippers, left the Lakers without getting a deal. They said, Clippers are out, they're finished. And then I figured, but if he hadn't made a decision in Toronto, it, it was like two extra days. And I'm like, well, if he was going to go back to Toronto, he probably just went to Toronto and said, I'm going to be a Raptor. 
but he didn't. And then I'm thinking, wow, it's not going to be the Raptors. So I felt it was going to be the Lakers, and then you heard he was talking to uh, LeBron, and he's talking to, the, to Magic, and every one of the Lakers and everything, but everyone's saying the Clippers are out. And then I'm in Surf Lodge in Montauk, which is, Montauk used to be the Fisherman's Village. Surfers were there. The place is called Surf Lodge, but now it's become like the millennial center of the universe in terms of hipsters and whatever you want to call it, but it's a cool place. John Legend is playing there this uh, Sunday. They have uh, music all the time. It is a cool, hip place in Montauk. And I'm like there at like 1 o'clock. Now, I'm not saying I'm bad, just, just, a, just it was just ending it. And they put it 1.30, whatever. They put the song Closing Time on, and right when they put that song on, they're pushing everybody else out of the place. After that song, they don't let anyone hang on. Suddenly, my phone just blows up with people calling me because it hadn't even hit Twitter yet. And people had heard on a Twitter, whoever said, and, and it's like, Paul George was traded. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, Paul George is traded. Then Leonard has to be signing. And suddenly, in the space of one minute, the shape of and the whole NBA season changed. And the Clippers went from being an afterthought to whatever to have one of the biggest trades in the history of sports. And at the same time, because really I consider this trade almost uh, every draft pick you possibly could have for the next decade for two of the best players in basketball. And that's really what happened. And, that was the, and so when I thought of the song, though, it's like it, it, there's just some lyrics in that song where uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And I know who I want to take me home. And every new beginning there, it, it comes from someone, some other beginnings end. And the reason is that both George and Leonard have talked about for years about going to the West Coast because they're from L.A. And two years ago, Paul George made this, was in Indiana, drafted by Indiana. It was interesting, their careers just matched. They're, they weren't supposedly great friends, but they knew each other because they both grew up in L.A. Um, and, and they both grew up in L.A. Kawhi went to San Diego State. George is from Fresno State. George grew up in Palmdale, which is an hour and a half north of L.A. Leonard from Riverside, which is an hour east. And they're just one year apart. Uh, George is one year older than Leonard. And... Um, and they were drafted by the Pacers, but they were tra- but Leonard was traded the next year to San Antonio. And uh, so that's why he played it. They could have actually been on the same team. But two years ago, three years ago, George is like, I'm out of Indiana. I don't want to sign. I'm not signing an extension. I don't want anything. I want out. I'm done. And then they tra- instead of trading him, they- he almost went to the Cavaliers, but they ended up trading them to Oklahoma City. And then everybody said he's going to play at Oklahoma City a year. He's going to play there one year. He's going to go to L.A. But last year, when the, play, when, the, when the playoffs were over and they were knocked out in the first round by Utah, everyone said, well, he's going to go to the Lakers. Because that's where he wanted to play. He said, I want to play for the Lakers. I want to go to L.A. So it was either Lakers or Clippers. Suddenly, he doesn't even meet with the Lakers, doesn't meet with the Clippers. He just signs with the Clippers at the, at the, the Oklahoma City Thunder at Russell Westbrook's July 4th party. Mm-hmm. So that just was a shock to everybody. Then this year, the same thing. Leonard, too, last year, said... I don't want to play for San Antonio anymore. I want to be go. I want to be traded to the Lakers or the Clippers. That's what or he said. L. A. But they didn't really. He didn't really say where L. A. But somewhere in L. A. And we assumed it was the Clippers because he wanted the Clippers rather than the Lakers. Well, San Antonio says we're not trading you to the Lakers. We're not trading you to the Clippers. We're going to trade you to Toronto, which is the exact opposite place. And everyone assumed he'd go to Toronto, play their year, and then sign. But then he ends up winning the title, ends up loving the team, the, the town became the, the, the king of the north, all these titles. 
So everybody assumed that that, but it was interesting. That, so what happened is that Leonard, he, everyone played him for the fool. He played everyone for the fool because he masterminded this entire thing. There should be a movie about what he did. So he goes to the Clippers on Monday and meets with Doc Rivers and meets with Bomber and meets with, uh, with uh, Jerry West and says to them, I want to play for you, but I'm not coming here unless you bring Paul George. They're like, Paul George? Well, he's on the Oklahoma City Thunder. He has three more years left on his deal. He goes, let me talk to him. So he starts talking to Paul George. And then the next day, he walks into the Lakers' office and then says, what can you do for me? And they talk about the Lakers, and he's meeting with Magic Johnson and everybody at the Lakers. At the same time, George then walks into Oklahoma City's office and says, you know, I know I signed that big contract last year, and I know I said I want to be an Oklahoma City Thunder player the rest of my life, and I want everything done, but I'm out. I want to be traded. <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder is like, what? You're crazy. This is nuts. Well, then he goes up to Toronto, and then he goes, so Kawhi Leonard goes to Toronto and meets with the Raptors, and they know by then Oklahoma City's calling the Thunder, uh, Oklahoma City's calling the Raptors and saying, you know, we could trade you Paul George. Because, and they're like, so now it was a mess because he's trying to negotiate. So Oklahoma City's saying, look, I have two teams that want Leonard, and they know they're going to give us everything they possibly have because they know that George has to come with Leonard. So in the space of, and then they kept delaying and delaying and delaying. And it's funny, the Lakers were the only ones that didn't know what was going on because Leonard kept saying, wait, 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 because the Lakers had to do all these moves, the trade for Anthony Davis, signing the free agents. There was all these things they had to do. But the Lakers didn't want to make a move until this deal. They thought they'd get Leonard, and they were almost certain they were going to get him. But he was sort of saying, well, if this trade doesn't fall through with Paul George, then maybe I'll sign with the Lakers. That was it. He was still considering it. But in the end, the trade did work. And Leonard ended up, Leonard, George gets traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. Then Leonard signs with the Clippers, and suddenly now the Clippers are the favorite to win the NBA title. And it was just an amazing series of events behind the scenes that you have Wojciechowski, Adrian Wojciechowski, who is the, who was tweeted, who is, I guess, I think he was the most followed person on Twitter besides uh, Donald Trump last week in terms of everyone following his tweets. And it was all exciting about what was happening, but really, Leonard orchestrated this whole thing with George and moving to Oklahoma City. And then there's one more domino to fall, which is that Russell Westbrook, who's sitting there saying, I had my friend Paul George with me last year, who's committed to come for another two years. We're going to make another run for it. He's now left at Oklahoma City with nobody. And now he says, maybe I should leave. And Oklahoma City says, yeah. And guess where he wants to go? Miami Heat. So now we have a situation with maybe Miami could pull another monster trade up and and going from about – Two, three weeks ago, where the Heat had no star players to have Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook on their team and be one of the favorites to win the East, uh, East to go to the NBA Finals. So it is really an amazing week. And I thought the closing time song was ironic because actually Leonard and George both wanted to go home. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel at 717. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, how much credit? if any at all, are you giving to Kawhi Leonard in masterminding, not not just masterminding this, but also screwing the Lakers in a sense that their hands are completely tied as far as signing other free agents while they're waiting. And Kawhi, he didn't make this quick. You know, he, he waited a bit, about as long as he could. Like, he really handcuffed the Lakers. You think this was intentional at all? You think he's a, you know, some kind of diabolical genius? Or you think it just kind of worked out that way? No, it's not an eyeball to genius because the end, he had to make the move. He, he didn't know what was going to happen, and I think he honestly, 
I think he did not want to go back to Toronto. And I think he was prepared to go to the Lakers. And I think the Leonard, the main reason is we talked about load management. The fact that he really wants to play 60 games, he wants to play 30 minutes a game, and he knew that if he went to a team like the Clippers as the only star, he'd have to play more. People would be like, oh, Leonard's not playing. Toronto, it worked okay last year. They have a lot of other parts, they have a lot of other players. They embrace it. He was concerned to go to the Clippers. He was concerned that he'd be the only star. The Lakers, LeBron's there, Anthony Davis is there. That would have worked out well. But he said he really wants to play for the Clippers if they could work this trade out. Now, the Clippers have got a lot of credit for keeping it secret. And now they're saying, can you believe that everyone's following the NBA and no one knew what's going on? But I'm not surprised by it at all. The fact that uh, Michael Winger, who is uh, the general manager of the Clippers, is a protege of Sam Presti, the general manager of Oklahoma City. They've been friends. They work together for years. So they know how they, they weren't going to be talking to each other and then whispering that, hey, guess what, we're making this, working this deal. And certainly a guy like Jerry West, who signed Kobe, traded for Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, he's not, it's not, doesn't phase him and he's not going to leak any secrets. And their owner is Steve Ballmer, who ran Microsoft and clearly knows how to run one of the top largest companies in the world, and certainly he knows about secrets. So whereas the Lakers were leaking everything because that's what they do as the Lakers, it was the Clippers who were very tight-lipped because these guys, they, know, they knew how to handle this. And, but the, you know, in the end, Oklahoma City might have not made that trade, but Oklahoma City ended up trading the 20, their 21 pick, which is Miami's pick, the 2022 pick, which is their pick, the 2023 first round, these are all first round picks, 2024 pick and 2025 pick, or 26 pick. You're not allowed the NBA to trade a pick, your first round picks in back-to-back years. It's under this Ted Stepien rule because the Cleveland Cavaliers owner once like traded 10 years of first-round draft picks. So, they, so David Stern eliminated that. But they owned so many other picks from Miami, from other teams, that they were able to do this because they could still have a number one pick. And they actually have this thing where the years they don't have the pick, that if Oklahoma City is worse than oh, the Clippers or the Clippers are worse, whoever has the worst pick, that's what Oklahoma City is going to get. So Oklahoma City, and they made it just another trade again today, they've now picked up like six number one picks in the next six years. So it's been, it was an amazing and right to move in. So it was a, it was a, it was a complete haul. Plus they got Shea uh, Gilders Alexander, who was the number one pick for the Clippers last year, who the Clippers really liked and thought he was a great player and who could really be a good, good pick for Oklahoma. Oklahoma City totally retooled. And that was just an amazing trade. And, Oklahoma, and, they were, and Oklahoma City was asking Toronto for Pascal Siakam and some all their picks, but it just in the end of the day, the Clipper deal was the better deal. But it was, it, I, they got, there has to be a movie about this because there was so much. You have LeBron talking to Leonard. You have Leonard talking to George. You have Leonard talking to Oklahoma. I mean, it's George talking to Oklahoma City. Like, everyone's involved in this. And in the end of the day, yeah, the Lakers... They, they, did, they, they, were, they were the losers, and Toronto was the losers. I mean, this could have been the end. Like, this was LeBron's chance to maybe win three more titles. I mean, seventh, going into 17th year, this was his chance to be the dominant player. And, and everyone says, oh, I don't have as many titles as Michael. Well, here's my three more titles, and I have six, and Michael has six. So make me the best of all time. So this might have been his last best chance to be considered the greatest player of all time. And so, I mean, LeBron was supposedly heavily involved in this and thought he had Leonard but didn't get him. So it was really it's just an exciting I mean, you would have been excited. This should be a movie or a TV show or something. Ira, you know, it brings me to another question, though. Any other sport, unless you're the Washington Redskins, you're never trading five first-round picks. Do you think that they gave too much to Oklahoma? Listen, Sam Presti is as good a GM as anyone in all of sports, especially when it comes to drafting. He's drafted, you know, Kevin Durant, which was an easy pick, but Harden, Westbrook, the guy hits. 
who do you think won this trade? I mean, do you think it's crazy to give up five first-round picks? What was interesting about this, as I said when we started, it wasn't five picks for just George. George is not the top player in basketball. He was like, I finished third for MVP last year. So he, he is very well thought of. He is coming off two shoulder surgeries. He's a good player. He's a great, I mean, I would consider him a great player. But he's not LeBron, and he's, he's not at that level. But he's, he's good. But it wasn't just for George. It was to get George and Leonard. And I think if you're the Clippers, this is the same thing we talked about last week with the Knicks and the Nets. This is why basketball is like Game of Thrones. I mean, totally like Game of Thrones. And by the way, next week, if you ever see the, the uh, uh, um, Game of Zones, which is on Bleacher Report, the animated series, we're going to have the Malamud brothers on our show talking about how they come up with it. I'm real excited to have them on. But this is really like a Game of Thrones situation because the Clippers did not want to be second, like 10th fiddle in Los Angeles. They knew that if Leonard went with LeBron and Davis, no one would go to Clipper games. They play in the same building. So they needed to make this move to block. This was like a chess may move. It was a move they had to make, and Oklahoma City knew it. They knew the Clippers needed to whatever the Clippers could offer. It was, they had to make the move because not only to stop, whereas the Knicks were told, look what happened with New York. The Knicks lost Irving and Durant. The Knicks have nobody, and the Nets have everything. So this was another way against, you know, where the Clippers did not want a situation in reverse where the Lakers were going to get all the stars and the Clippers were going to be completely irrelevant. And uh, what a move. I mean, it was a great move in terms of, I mean, you've you got to look. Steve Ballmer ran Microsoft. He paid $2.2 billion for the team. I mean, he's a brilliant businessman. You have Doc Rivers. It seemed like Doc Rivers is someone who uh, Leonard felt very comfortable as the coach. They had a lot of things in place, their practice facilities, and their medical facilities and all these other things that made Leonard very comfortable. And the fact is, yeah, he grew up in L.A. He's from San Diego State, Paul George, Fresno State. These people want, like to play in L.A. They grew up there. That's where they want, you know, coming home. That's where they wanted to play. And uh, so that, I think the Lakers definitely missed out, but I don't know if they were played. I, it, 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 the winners are clearly the Clippers right now. But let's see if Presti can turn those draft picks into, for Oklahoma City into something great. If he makes a trade to the, the Heat and gets even more picks, he might have this dominant a team in three, four years. So, Ira, you know, before we cover uh, the rest of it, what happened uh, in the NBA, by the way, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel at 724. Uh, you know, you brought up the Knicks a few times in here, and it seems like this is very polarizing um, from both the Knicks fan base and from reporters on wh- how the Knicks handled free agency. You know, there's the report that they weren't going to offer uh, Kevin Durant, um, you know, max money, considering he is he is hurt. Do you think the Knicks should be looking back on this and saying, you know, this is a total loss? Or do you think they should be like, you know what, maybe it was better we didn't waste that money in a situation now where we weren't going to be the, the best team next year anyways? I'm going to say something that hasn't been. I've watched, of course, I'm like totally addicted to everything that's been happening. I'm listening to everything people talk about. I think the Knicks made a horrendous mistake. I think the Knicks, the Knicks panicked. And they'll say, well, why they panic? They signed Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton, Taj Gibson, Julius Randle. I mean, these names are not getting anyone excited. They're a bunch of arguably sixth or seventh players on some teams. And they signed them to two-year deals so that they, they preserve their cap flexibility. But, you know, you want to think the Knicks, could they have got involved in this? I doubt it because they wanted to go to L.A., but could they have been another team players? Could, I think the Knicks, and see, the Knicks, when they signed all these players, didn't have any cap room to do anything. So they sort of boxed themselves out. If I'm the Knicks and I knew Leonard was still on the table, I would have said, look, we're going to be here, we're going to have more cap room than anyone, and we might get, I mean, I think they panicked. They signed a bunch of people that, honestly, they're not going to have in two years. They want young players. They want to grow. They could have been somewhere to park pre-agents or park cap, park somebody, other players. 
players to get around cap rooms. I, I don't know what the Knicks were doing. I, I, as much as they did last week, they got a lot of credit, and I thought, well, they were okay, they did the best. I think the Knicks blew it. The Knicks were sitting there with a ton of cap room. When these te- and now they're sitting there, look, with, look with, if, they, if they wouldn't have assigned anybody, they'd be, have $60 million of cap room that the, the Heat could be dumping players on and, and these other moves that could be done. I think they, they don't have to get to the salary cap right now. I mean, there's plenty of time to get and sign players. And if they were too under at the end, just give, like the Sixers did one year, J.J. Redick, $25 million uh, to get up to the floor of the salary cap. I think they made, I think the Knicks panicked. Uh, I think they put together putting in the, I think it was a stupid move. They could have really benefited from the fact that these other teams, these star power wars, and they were sitting there with cap room where nobody else had this cap room to play with. So I think the Knicks made a big mistake. Okay, Ira. So you're not here in Florida right now, but all they're talking about on local Miami radio is the thought of getting Russell Westbrook here with Jimmy Butler and having a completely retooled Miami Heat team in a completely retooled Eastern Conference, they could be, they're probably the third seed right now, or the third pick if they do acquire Russell Westbrook. So what do you think is going to happen now uh, with the other dominoes to fall from Oklahoma City? Where can you see Westbrook ending up if they move him at all? I didn't think Westbrook wanted to leave. He's been there 11 years. He loves the city. He has more foundations. He is embedded in this entire town. I thought he'd say, they want to, I'm going to be an Oklahoma City person for life. Uh, he's from L.A. also. I mean, he grew up in L.A. and he went to UCLA. So another player that, that people thought would play for the Lakers. Um, but I think it's interesting. People have linked him with Houston, Orlando, Detroit. The Heat make sense to some extent is that he is triple-double, the only person to have the triple-double since Oscar Robertson. He has back-to-back years. Uh, he has to have the ball in his hands all the time. But Jimmy Butler is a great player because Butler doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. And I personally I, think they're I, a great fit together. What? I personally think they'd be a great fit together. At, like <laughs> you're saying, a lot of players can't play with Russell Westbrook. I think Butler would be fine. Oh, uh, 100%. Butler's not going to look. And they also play hard. They play competitively. I mean, they fit the Heat mindset. Anybody who talks about the Heat, it's like they can't shoot. They don't move the ball. They don't do this. But, boy, they play hard. I mean, you know from, from, from the days of Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, the Heat have always, under Riley, had that we're going to play hard. We're going to be in the best shape. We're going to outwork everybody. That's what we're going to have. And we're going to do those things. That's what Westbrook and, and Butler. I mean, they just play. The argument about Westbrook is he, play, he tries too hard. Yeah. The argument about Butler is he tries too hard. Well, the Heat are like, try as hard as you want. That's what we want. And the question is, they're going to have to give up everything. I mean, they're going to have to give up Winslow, Bama Bayou. But I'm, if, you're the, if you're the Heat and you're Riley and you're, you, know, you have a chance now with the whole Eastern Conference totally open for you, with just Milwaukee sitting there and Philadelphia and Boston, you're thinking, I want to be I – mean, they're going to make – I guarantee you the Heat make the trade. They have to. If Westbrook wants to come, he's owed four years $170 million. This is going to be very, very difficult to make this. But they could trade Drogic, um, they would, and they would have to trade Bama Bayou and probably Justice Winslow, too, and, and, and make that work. But it, it'd, be, it'd be earth-shattering. And certainly for Miami, I, I, look, that's what you, you understand. Riley, he brought LeBron, Wade, and Bosch together. He'll, he'll make this happen. If Westbrook wants to come, and it seems like that's what he wants, that he's going to make this happen somehow. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think they both be a perfect fit. I, I do think, too, you, you, Pat Riley wants Wales. He wants winners. How funny is it that this was a team that, even Ira two months ago, we would have said, man, this team is absolutely buried, uh, you know, with bad contracts and just guys who, you know, aren't really, uh, you know, they're just run-of-the-mill players. They might have two basically superstars out of nothing. That would go to say a lot from just who Pat Riley is and what he gets done. 
Totally. And, and also, I think Riley realizes that next year, Anthony Davis is really the only big free agent. He'll resign with the Lakers. Draymond Green will be a free agent. But Draymond Green is going to not, if, if he plays bad, the, the Warriors will just let him go. If he plays great, they're going to sign him and they'll keep him with the Warriors. So he's not going to be a free agent. And Andre Drummond for Detroit. But besides that, the free agents are going to be like uh, Brown for, uh, for Boston, who's a restricted. But these are all players that teams can match and sign. And Siaka for Toronto and Levert from the Nets. There's no major free agents like it was this year so the heat see a situation and they're also all these other teams feel competitive they're not going to be trading their stars away the heat were going to be locked into their team their contracts were going to expire but that's why they need to make this they make a trade because there won't be stars that they're going to be able to acquire feel for uh, washington wizards so that's why it's so exciting and, and and clearly you're right riley wants wales it, it would sell and with the dolphins being in this is what i said the dolphins are in a total rebuild mode they might have the worst team in football this year the marlins are a complete disaster they the Heat want to own the town, the whole South Florida. This is their chance, and Riley knows it, and Mickey Harrison, their owner, knows it, and they're going to try to get it done. Could not have said it better myself. That's why you're listening to Iron Sports, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to think about it, but there were dozens and dozens of other moves that went on. Didn't get talked about nearly as much as uh, what we just discussed, but why don't you touch on some other uh, NBA moves? I, I just thought the couple interesting was DeMar- the Lakers did bring in DeMarcus Cousins. I like that move a lot. I, I Cousins, Super cheap. everybody made fun of him with the Warriors. He was a little out of shape. He was a lot of out of shape. Came back from Achilles injury. Then he came back from his, his thigh, from a quad injury. But if he gets back and he has a whole summer to get better and improve and to get in better shape, he proved that he can work with Anthony Davis. He's a great passer, fitting with LeBron. I think it'd be exciting to watch him play. They did sign Danny Green, who was the player for Toronto, so who was the guard for Toronto, who played for the Spurs, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, but who actually didn't play well in the NBA Finals. So the Lakers did make some interesting moves. But in the end, they, it's, they wanted Leonard. They, they could have had their super team. They could have had one of the greatest. They could maybe have the ultimate super team. They didn't get him. But I think the Cousins move was a nice, but then a nice, uh, I think it'll fit in really well. They played, Davis and Cousins played uh, when Cousins was traded a couple years ago to New Orleans, and they played together for two months. And they had some amazing games where each player had like 30 points and 20 rebounds. So, and they're both from Kentucky, which is interesting. So uh, Kentucky, they played at Kentucky. Yeah. And I, I think it was a good move. So I'm excited about that, of, of, that, of that signing, I think, was the, was the best signing. Okay, Ira, so uh, like we said, things have really changed. The landscape of the NBA is basically completely different than it was a couple of months ago. Um, the West is absolutely stacked. And there is no more clear-cut Golden State Warriors team that we can say is going to the finals. You can make a case for basically the entire conference. Let's talk about how the West shapes up. Well, you know, I, I talked to uh, people who we, I talked to people on the radio station. They're like, "When are you going to stop talk, When are you going to stop talking about the NBA?" And I thought this would be the last week, but I guess with the Westbrook trade, we're going to still have maybe one more week if we have the Westbrook decision. But this this is sort of my last covering until like things sort of maybe settle down more besides Westbrook, but in terms of the analysis, because most of every, whatever signings you see now are just marginal on the edges. It, it's really what has been done, and unless there's another monster trade. But I'm telling you what, I think Houston is still set. As much as Paul and Harden don't like each other, this has been the best team two years ago, and last year they went Harden out. They still, when Harden played, they were probably the best team in the league. They have Capella, they have Gordon, they, they are just had trouble with the Warriors, but the Warriors are no longer the Warriors anymore. So I think Houston's the, the favorite in the West. 
The next team would be Denver. Denver last year, you saw, they, they barely lost to Portland in seven games. They were a young team. They had the second-best record in the league. They had won 54 games. They have Jokic, who is the emerging superstar in the NBA, uh, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, young players like Malik Beasley. There's Michael Porter Jr. they drafted two years ago, who was considered the next LeBron, but has been injured. But now they say he's healthy, and he looks phenomenal. So I think Denver would be like two. I think the Lakers are still like the third seed. They have LeBron, they have Cousins, they have Anthony Davis, Kuzma's still there, uh, no bench. But I think that they'll, they'll, they, could, they could win the, All these teams could win the title. Um, but in terms of they probably, LeBron's going to take games off, Davis is going to take games off, they're going to have some injuries. They probably are not going to win, probably win like 50-some games. They're not going to win 60 and get the number one seed. I think the Clippers are the fourth seed, mainly because I, I agree. I don't think they're going to play all out. They have, not only do they have George and Leonard, they bring back Lou Williams, who was the best six man of the year. Patrick Beverly, the point guard. They have this Shamet who got from uh, uh, Philadelphia, who, Laundry Shamet, who was really good. Um, Terrence Mann, they signed with the Clippers, who we might have on our show next week also, as a, as a from Florida State, and Zubak, their center. So they have really good players. I mean, this team is, they played well last year. They made the playoffs and took two games off the Warriors. Um, so I think the Clippers are the fourth seed. The fifth seed is Utah, who that brought in Mike Conley. They have Donovan Mitchell, who was great. They have Bogdanovich from the Pacers. Gobert is the defensive player of the year. I mean, they could win the title. Portland, people were sort of writing off, but they have the best backcourt. And McCollum and Lillard, who were tremendous, who made it to the Western Conference Finals last year and traded for Whiteside, might not work so well. But they added, they kept Rodney Hood. They drafted Nasir Little. They, they are going to be excellent next year. And then you have the Spurs, who last year didn't play that great, still made the playoffs, have everybody back, including Duante Murray, their point guard, who people think is like this next superstar, who was almost hurt all last year. And they brought in, they improved their bench, which they, they brought in Damari Carroll and Marcus Morris. And then that's with seven. And then the eighth seed is the Warriors with, with, Steph, with, with Stephen Curry and Draymond Green if Clay Thompson comes back and they're the eighth seed. That just shows you how even this conference is, that the Warriors could arguably be the eighth seed. And then you even have these good young teams. So that community, those are eight teams. Then you have the Pelicans at nine with Zion and Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick and all those Lakers picks like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. And then you have Dallas with Doncic and Porzingis. Sacramento has good young players uh, uh, in Bagley and Fox. Minnesota has Carl Anthony Towns still, so they should make some. And besides Phoenix and Memphis uh, and the Thunder, I mean, all these teams could potentially make the playoffs. And if you're Phoenix, you're happy with John Morant and, and Jaron Jackson, two phenomenally great young players. So it's really interesting in the West. It's going to be great. And when you really have eight teams that not only could win the West, could win the title. So it's going to be that, – that's, that's what makes it – I think a lot of people in the league were happy that Leonard didn't go to, uh, to the Lakers because it really evened out the entire conference. No, it, it totally did. It, it added all the parity back that you want – well, at least I want when I'm watching sports because the, the Warriors kind of took the fun out of it for me, and that's why I was so happy to see Toronto win. Uh, before we touch on the East real quick, Ira, how happy do you think Celtics fans um, – you know uh, – the Greek freak and all the, the fans in uh, Milwaukee. How excited do you think these guys were when Kawhi left the East? Well, I think they're ecstatic because, look, Toronto in the NBA Finals looked like a great team. But if anybody watched in the Sixers series, and I went to uh, a couple of those games, they looked like a team. And you saw in that game seven, they were like, Kawhi, just shoot the ball. Like nobody on the rest of the team was afraid to shoot. Now, maybe they got confidence, but there were times in those games where they were just let, let Kawhi do everything. And when Kawhi left the game, then there was a disaster. So I think, and I think Kawhi knew that. I think Kawhi knew that, boy, the team came together in the finals, but we were very lucky to get there. I don't, I, Toronto, 
it's all about Pascal, Pascal Siakam. If he develops in the superstar, which I think he's going to be, they'll be okay definitely going forward. But right now, I think, yeah, they were, now it's the East is, at least at the top, extremely wide open in terms of what these teams are, and Toronto's fallen back into, into the pack. All right, Ira, let's talk about the East now. My New York Knicks moving up the rankings? I don't think so. Um, so let's talk about the East. Like you said, it's definitely going to be a lot more top-heavy than we see on the West. Well, I'll, if you want to talk about the Knicks, I'll say this. They might, not, they might actually be better than the Charlotte Hornets. Michael, the Hornets are absolutely horrendous. If you look at the roster, it's embarrassing. Like, the Knicks are going to be better than the Hornets. They are so bad. And they lost Kemba Walker, and they lost Jeremy Lamb, and they made no good trades, and they really haven't drafted well, and they actually are going to be worse than the Knicks, which is shockingly. And the Cavs are bad, and Chicago's getting better, but they're still bad, and Washington's terrible. Atlanta has Trey Young and John Collins, and they're going to be good and young, and they're going to have, some, they're going to have potential in the future, but not now. But on the, so the East, the weird thing is that the Eastern and the bottom of the East is so weak. The West really doesn't. The West has a couple teams, Phoenix, that might be bad, but uh, and Oklahoma City, if Westbrook gets traded. But I think the Bucks are, are the best teams. Giannis, Middleton, they brought Lopez back. They have George Hill, Eric Bledsoe. Um, they are, to me, the, the, the best team. They were the best team last year in basketball, and they brought everybody back but Brogdon, um, who went to the Pacers. Boston, I think Kevin Walker is actually an improvement over Kyrie Irving. I think with Tatum and Brown and Smart and Hayward, I think they'll be a two-seed. They actually added uh, Enos Cantor, who I think fits perfectly with that Boston attitude. He's been bouncing around the league, who played on the Knicks, but who's a really tough, good player. I, I'm not sold on Sixers. Uh, we had Howard Beck on last week. Everyone seems to like him. I, I'm not sold on Simmons. He doesn't, hasn't shot a three-point shot, made a three-point shot in his NBA career. Embiid gets hurt all the time, isn't in shape. Uh, Josh Richardson, we saw him from the, from the Heat. Nice player, but really doesn't develop much. Tobias Havard, Harris is not a superstar. Horford, I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks they are. Um, and that's why I think the Heat with Westbrook could be like in that top two or three if they get Westbrook. Um, the Nets probably are at fifth with uh, Kyrie. They bring back Levert, uh, this Jared Allen, Dinwiddie, even without Durant. Durant comes back next year, they, possibly, they probably should be number one. And then Toronto would be the, be the sixth in the East, and then probably Indiana and Detroit and Orlando. But it is, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting. I mean, unfortunately, the playoffs don't start till, uh, till April. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's good. The NBA really positioned. They, their offseason is tremendous. And I think we talk about this in, in football all the time when the season starts, like we're going to start talking about football and how many teams really have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And you could go through, out of the 32 NFL teams, you could make the – there's 26 fan bases that think, boy, if everything goes right, we could go to the Super Bowl. And I think that's what's going to start to happen in the NBA next year where you're going to think there's, there's going to be like 20-some fan bases that are going to say, look, if everything goes right, we stay healthy, we're going to be the NBA champions. And that's what, that's what Silver wants. That's what, as you said, what the leagues want. Unlike in baseball where it's not like that really. All right, I have time to switch gears. You brought up champions and – that's what we are here in the USA. If you're a fan of the U.S. women's national team, got to hand it to these women. They, uh, they, they came out in game one, 13 nothing, and didn't look back from there. Well, they, they never trail. I mean, that was, uh, against England, we talked about them going against England in the, in the uh, semifinals, and their star player, Megan Rubino, doesn't even play in, well, doesn't, doesn't start in the game, doesn't play in the game. And, uh, but her replacement, Kristen Press, scores 10 minutes in the game. Uh, it was the first goal England gave up in 380 minutes. And then England tied it. So they actually came back and tied, but then Allie Morgan hit a, had a header to go up 2-1. And uh, then with 20 minutes to go, England almost they scored, but it was called back on an offside. And, uh, but then the exciting moment of the game was the 81st minute. 
uh, Alyssa Mayer there, uh, some people criticized her as not that good a goalie. She wasn't Hope Solo. She's not this or that. And she, on a penalty kick, stopped the penalty kick to preserve the 2-1. And I, it, was, it was probably a bad attempt on the penalty kick, but I love how Hope Solo, who was the goaltender, I guess, 20 years ago on the team, you know, and said, <laughs> said that, uh, uh, well, she's not really that good. She's not as good as me. That was an easy penalty kick. It's like, really, way to get into the uh, pride of the USA there. <laughs> but, uh, but U.S. is the first, they became the first team to, to reach three straight World Cup finals. Uh, a tons of excitement for this team. I mean, everybody was talking about it, non-soccer fans alike. And then they go to the finals and they beat the Netherlands 2-0. I mean, if you watch that first half, it was 0-0, but it seemed like the United States had every scoring chance possible. And, they had no, uh, Netherlands Latino had no shots in, in the first. <laughs> go ahead. Ne- Netherlands had no shots in the first, yeah. It was almost 60-40 possession. <laughs> so... And it was like, and it, but it was like, it scared you a little bit because you're like, boy, you don't, I mean, if you're the Netherlands, you go back and you say, we didn't take a shot. They had a million shots and we're still tied 0-0. It must give them, well, you know, you get a break here, there, we might win this, you know, steal the World Cup. And, uh, but then Rapino scored on a penalty kick. Uh, she was the 34, at 34 years old, the oldest player to win, to score a goal in the, in the uh, final. And then Rose Lavelle uh, made it two nothing, and uh, and they coasted to win. And uh, it was, I mean, you knew that. I think once you knew they were up one nothing, it was going to be over. And certainly at two zero, it was it was way over. And they set a record with twenty six goals. And Alyssa Nair, the goaltender, only allowed three goals the whole tournament. Had four shutouts. So just a tremendous win for U- U.S. women's team. And uh, boy, I mean, it's 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 like, can we have the World Cup every year? Like, why do they have to wait four years? Like, why can't they do it? You know, they have the Olympics, I guess, every two. But I think they should. It's a, It was very exciting and. and it's, it's a, it should be something to encourage women's professional soccer in the United States because people seem really into this. No, a- absolutely. And, you know, on the other side, you've got the men, and they've got this um, perennial thorn in their side known as Mexico just to our south, and they just can never get anything going against this team. Well, they lost in the Gold Cup. I think the criticism more, not so much was they lost in the Gold Cup to, uh, to Mexico was that the fact that there were these other like, why were they playing this during the same day as the World Cup? It's like, it's like playing the super, another game during the Super Bowl, and, and uh, I agree with it. I think the Women's World Cup should stand on its own. There shouldn't be no other soccer matches that day. Everybody should watch it. I, I thought it was, I do agree with it. I think it was ridiculous that they were having other matches that day when the World Cup, it, it is the Women's World Cup. It is the number one event. They, no, they never would play another match during the Men's World Cup, so why would they play it during the Women's? Uh, and I thought it was I thought that was wrong to even play it on Sunday. And there was a lot of criticism uh, for the soccer governing party even allowing that to go on. Um, but, you know, I, was, I saw an interesting article, though, that it's, it, America's dominated women's soccer. We certainly have not dominated men's soccer. But uh, it's in popularity, it's really becoming popular in, in, in Europe. Uh, 51% of France watched the game against the United States. And England, you know that in 1971, it, it was even outlawed until 1971. Women couldn't even play soccer for, uh, anywhere. And, uh, um, I get, and, and then, so, it, but it's now really growing. And, and Europe's under 20 teams have been beating the United States teams. So it's something that finally in Europe, people are catching up to America. And now America's going to be great at this because of Title IX, which encourages all these colleges to have soccer teams because you have to match 
the men's team. The rules are that you have to have as many scholarships for men as you do women, but of course there's no women's football team with 85 scholarships, so you have more women's scholarships. So usually every women's soccer team is, fund, is funded through scholarships, which you have some men's teams that don't have scholarships. But you're seeing a lot of people play women's soccer, and that's been, that's been uh, you know, so I think America should be dominant or should be at the top for years to come. But Europe is actually getting much better, and it was interesting to read this about how all these countries now are it's becoming popular and into it, and, and girls are playing it at, at younger ages and getting into it. So it's uh, it definitely their women's soccer popularity is increasing worldwide. It, it, it- you know, all you need to do is look at the TV ratings. They got a 10 share for that game. 10 share of the ratings. That's more than four of the NBA Finals games, Scott. So people are definitely interested. So, you know, great job for the uh, U.S. women's national team. Guys, I'm always rooting for you. Let's actually just make the World Cup this time around after uh, the debacle from uh, from two years ago. All right, Ira. You know, we were talking, and I love the Midsummer Classic, the Major League Baseball All-Star festivities, which start tonight with the Home Run Derby. You think that most people don't really care about? You were saying, you know, you gotta like bribe people to watch this with you. I'm a diehard baseball fan, but I can understand that some people just aren't as into it as others. You know, it's not. It just shows you where pop, baseball popularity is going. When I was younger, um, this was the event of the summer. Everything stopped. It was great. Uh, you did not see the interleague. You saw uh, players for the Yankees playing against Pirates. You were. It was just such a big game, and it really isn't. I mean, the ratings have just been going down and down and down. Um, interleague has totally caused that. The, the lack of enthusiasm for baseball has caused it too. But the fact that now you see, there's every teams are playing interleague games. The Yankees play National League teams. The Dodgers play American League teams. Um, it's not this. And also, players are traded. There's player movement. I mean, in the old days, the player would play in one league and never play in another league. That's their whole life was just in one league, and you never, if you were a Pirate fan, you. Would would never see an American League player ever. So unless it's in like the the All Star Game, so that's what I think. But it's still it's going to be in Cleveland. It's exciting. It's a great event. I've been to five All Star Games. Uh, I've loved them. I've been at the one at City Field. I've been to two in Pittsburgh, uh, down in Atlanta. So it's been uh, there've been uh, tremendous games to go to. It's a lot of fun. Um, so let's talk about before we get into uh, the Home Run Derby, just where we're at right now at the Dodgers. I know you're a big fan. You go to a lot of games, but this team just looks better every day. The Dodgers are un- unbeatable. They, they, they win. They, their record at home is they've only lost like seven, eight games. They've won 39. I mean, they're, they do not lose at home. They always come at the ninth inning. They've had five straight games to end the season with, in the ninth inning to, uh, as walk-off wins. They, and then you think, how can they win a different way? Arizona, their closer, Greg Holland, who's very good, walked four straight batters. I mean, this is like Little League. I was watching it. I'm like, this cannot be professional baseball. This happens like in Little League where someone pitches, and you're like, you know, take the pitcher out. I feel sorry for the pitcher. He walked. They were, they were leading 4-3, and they end up losing 5-4 when, uh, when they walked four straight, five, actually five straight batters at the bottom of the ninth, walking five straight batters at the bottom of the ninth uh, to, uh, for the first time that happened since 1920. And when I mean, you think about the Dodgers, it's been happening the whole time. So definitely the Dodgers are, are, are running away and winning in, a, in amazing fashion. And a lot of people in the East don't see it because their games at home don't end, and they don't end until like uh, 1, 1.30 in the morning. So it's really hard to watch them. Okay, Home Run Derby kicks off tonight. 
we've got th- this is going to be a good one, and they they always they're constantly tweaking the rules. I think they've got a fun format right now, though. It's going to be Matt Chapman is your number one seed filling in for uh, uh, Christian Yelich, who's having some back issues. He is going to actually play in the game tomorrow, though, versus Vlad Guerrero, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Alex Bregman faces off against Jock Peterson. Pete Alonso is your two seed versus Carlos Santana, and then Josh Bell, upstart Pittsburgh Pirate, he's a three seed taking on uh, young phenom Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, how do you think this is going to play out, I? It's going to be exciting because these are young players that are really good, and they're all, I think the average age is 25, and these are the, the future of baseball, and it'll be exciting to see. I like the Bregman-Peterson winner. Uh, you go against each other. There is, I like that this format is so much better to have uh, two guys and it just advance. So it doesn't, they don't keep running totals. It's just you, be, you win your round, then you advance to the next. Uh, Bregman and Peterson have both competed in this contest before. Bregman lost last year to Swarber. Uh, Peterson lost in 2015 in the finals to Frazier. So I think I like Bregman beating Peterson, but I think that winner should go through. These other players are young. It's going to get a lot of pressure. And, and, and actually, this is a tougher ticket than the All-Star game. So the, it's going to be packed. And these are young players that have not been on this. I mean, you have two rookies that are playing in this that, that really were playing minor league baseball uh, last year. So it, uh, I think Bregman ends up winning this. Uh, and uh, and, and it's, inter- it's exciting, that, interesting that Bregman and Peterson are both Jewish. So you have two Jewish uh, 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 hitters going against each other in that first round. So, and, they, and they're both probably the favorite to win. Um, you know what, Ira? I, was, I just really like Alex Bregman because he's like my height and still amazing. So I was going to take him, but since you're stealing him, I'll go with the. I'll take Vlad Guerrero Jr. here. He's the second favorite in Vegas, and I'll take the. Uh, I'll take the rookie to uh, to take this one down. We'll see who wins that. All Star game is going to be tomorrow, Ira, and I, I think it's going to be another great game. We, these seem to go either way. It's either, you know, because because you're seeing nine great pitchers from each side basically going inning a piece, maybe two. So they get it's either you know shutting these guys out or they just the, the hitters are are on and they and they blow up. But we're gonna see um, a huge in Ryu who nobody would have picked to even be in the game, let alone starting it versus Justin Verlander tomorrow. Well, it's interesting. There's two things I take my takeaways from the game is watch these pitchers pitch Verlander and Rue. in October. They probably are gonna face off for the first game of the World Series. So that's what because of the Astros and the Dodgers. Um, and I think that's what's going to so it'll be interesting that those two pitchers will, I guess, five months, four months from now, will uh, face off again on the much more important stakes. And also in this game, they're going to have that in the 10th inning, instead of having these games last forever, they're going to put a runner. They do this in minor leagues. They do it in minor leagues. They've done it in some future games, other things. They're going to put a runner on second base. So the inning's going to start with a runner on second base to try to get the games over faster um, and watch, watch them still have an 18-inning game. But they're, they're trying to encourage it because they don't want the games to last so long, and they're going to run out of bench players and all these other issues that they're dealing with. And that, but that could be the future of baseball because there's a lot of talk about having the Major League Baseball put in extra innings so you don't have these long extra inning games to put the runner on second base. So that if it gets to, if it's tied after the ninth inning, you're going to see something you haven't seen before in Major League Baseball. Yeah, um, yeah, they started that last year, or actually, I think it was this year in the minors, and absolutely hated. If they bring that to baseball, I will, I will riot at Major League Baseball uh, headquarters. So uh, the game is in Cleveland. Um, it, it's going to be uh, the last time the game is in Cleveland. It was still the Jake, and Tino Martinez was a Yankee at the time. He won the home run derby. So uh, just a little bit of history on that. But what, what do you think about the, uh, the field itself? 
Oh, I think it'll be exciting. I think Cleveland, they've supported their town, their, I mean, their team uh, through everything. They're great baseball fans. I love the stadium. It's right next to the, uh, 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 where the basketball team plays, the Quicken Loans Arena. It's a, and I love the atmosphere. I love everything around it. I, there's a lot of bars, restaurants, um, and it, it's a, it has a nice feel. Uh, it's, it's a great stadium. It's, an old, it's like Camden Yards and the PNC Park for the, where the Pirates play. And I like, the, I like the fact that it's right downtown, right in the heart of the restaurants. It's a great scene, and I think Cleveland deserves it. They, it's a great, great, Cleveland is a great sports city. They're going to have the Browns back. And all the stadiums are really in walking distance. Besides those stadiums being right next to each other, the Browns stadium is only a few minutes away by, by walking also. Okay, Ira, let's switch gears to tennis here on Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Um, everybody's been talking about this young lady, Coco, from Delray Beach, who'd been tearing it up. She did finally take a loss and bow out. But other than that, what do you think of Wimbledon so far? Well, Wimbledon is this week is going to be amazing. I mean, Djokovic. The thing is, everybody's getting upset except for Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, who are winning. They, each one of them has won every one of their matches. They've won four matches each, and they've only lost a set. And they really have not been tested at all. Everyone else around them is losing. I mean, they uh, uh, in Djokovic's side of the draw. David, he's playing David Goffin in the quarters. They all play in the quarters on Wednesday. Uh, and then this Medvedev, who was 11 seed, uh, he lost to Goffin. This uh, um, Tsitsipas of Greece, who was the six seed, he lost. Uh, he lost uh, in it to a qualifier earlier in the first second round. I mean, it's upsets all over. In the next, Djokovic, I said last week, I thought he had an easy draw, and he, he's easier than I thought he was going to have, because then the 26th seed, Pella, plays, or Argentina, plays a good in Spain, the 23rd seed, because Anderson, with the finals last year against Djokovic, he's out. He lost to Pella. Uh, Riley Opico, American beat Stan Wawrinka, who's uh, won the Grand Slams at the French and Australian Open and U.S. Open. And uh, Karen Karachev of Russia, who was uh, a top seed, was out. And, and six seed, Sasha Zara from Russia lost his second round. So really, Djokovic is going to just cruise, I think, into the finals. Uh, and then in the other side of the draw, Nadal and Federer, they're going to both play Wednesday in the quarters, I think, easily win. Nadal is going to play Sam Quarry, who was unseated from America, who's only American left. But Quarry upset Dominic Thiem, the good young player, I thought. Nadal played. Nadal lost one set to Nick Kyrgios, who's this Australian who is just totally crazy and, and gets thrown out and suspended and fined and everything. And I'm glad Nadal won because he's so cla- much more classy than Kyrgios or most any players more classy than Kyrgios. And even to the point where Kyrgios was taking shots at Nadal and Nadal wasn't looking at, the, at a shot one time and he went to try to hit him with the ball and it was just crazy. And then Federer is just looked, today was amazing. Federer played the 20th ranked player in the world and won in an hour and eight minutes in three sets. Uh, two, two, and two, and one. It was so over. And this guy had just won a tournament in Germany. Uh, so it was like he's cruising along. And, and so he plays Keen Ishikori in the quarter. So it's going to be the doll on, on Friday. It's going to be great. Another, probably another Nadal Federer in Wimbledon semifinal, which is just amazing to watch. So it's going to be a great week of men's tennis. They play the quarters on Wednesday. There were semifinals on Friday and the finals on Sunday. So but between the finals, of the, you know, it should be great on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Uh, and then the women's, Serena's still in it, and she probably has a great chance to win. Alice can risk beat the number one seed, Ashley Barty, uh, today. Uh, Allison Risk is from Pittsburgh, American, and she's going to play Serena in one of the quarters. And, and really, the only exciting aspect of it was Coco Goff. 
from Delray Beach, 15-year-old qualifier, uh, uh, had just beat Venus in the first round. But the fact she then won two other matches, which is amazing, and she beat uh, Herzog, who actually upset Keys, and she finally lost today to number, one, number seven seed Halep, who had been number one in the world for two years, 6-3, 6-3. But being fit, if she was 17 or 18, we'd be impressed. But at 15, she hits, she's different than a lot of the other Americans. She really is not looking. To, she hits the ball very hard, but she, her movement is great. She really looks like a player that's going to have um, – she's trained by Serena's coach. Uh, so she, they've, they've identified her. But she's only 15 years old, which is amazing, and she could compete at this level. Uh, she's the youngest person to win a match at Wimbledon since Anna Kornikova. And, uh, just a, and she's fun, and she was exciting, and it's great. And, and you really think that she could be someone who will be number one in the world. And, uh, and she, she seemed to she, – she took, she took the pressure of Wimbledon and handled it great in the interview room, everything. She played really, really good. I, I, I was very impressed. I just like the fact that she has this all-court – I think her game looks like – I mean, grass is hard to play when you're young, too. They're not used to playing in that. I think she seems to have a type of game that could translate to hard courts and to, and to clay. Yeah, and, and you, like you said, being 15 years old, she's not <laughs> not an adult body yet. So, you know, when she's 20, 21 years old, it'll be really interesting to see what uh, Coco Goss can do against the other women uh, in tennis. Ira, it was a big weekend for UFC. The fastest knockout ever happened. Tell us about what you saw. I want to say that... Uh, this was the event of the summer. I mean, you have Amanda Nunes, who is the champion, uh, uh, bantamweight champion, and and uh, and she fought Holly Holm. So what's interesting about this is that these were the two fighters that beat Ronda Rousey, and it's somewhat, and so uh, they never fought uh, before. And and Holm has been known to she used the leg kick on Rousey to knock her out. And Nunes did that to home. Nunes is so good. I mean, she is tremendous. I mean, she beat Rousey. She beat Cyborg, who was Dustino, who was totally unbeatable. She beat her in 51 seconds. She's now won nine matches in a row. And uh, uh, dominant. And Dana White goes, look, she's as... She's not just the best women fighter. She is an all-time. She is one of the best, like three or four fighters to ever ever fight in UFC, and uh, uh, just an, a great win for her. And it, she would she headlines cards, and she would be the headliner. But John Jones, who is considered pound for pound the number one UFC fighter, uh, beat Santos and uh, in a light heavyweight match. And this was an interesting one. It wasn't as exciting as you'd expect because it seemed like Santos got hurt early with his knee. They were saying he had an ACL tear. And so he was very defensive, but Jones was scared and didn't really want to risk it and felt like he was winning. So they've had five rounds and, and Jones won on and two judges had a three, two Jones and the other judge had a three, two Santos. And actually Santos won the final, the fifth round. So, and everyone was waiting for Jones to take Santos down and to wrestle on the, on the ground. And because he's a, he's a period wrestler, but he, he seemed to be content to just box and kick with him, and uh, Santos was working on Jones's calves, uh, kicking, it was very, I mean, uh, Jones is saying, look, don't criticize me, this Santos is dangerous, he's a black, he's a, a, a black belt in Mai Tai, he's one of the, the greatest kickers and strikers in, 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 you know, ever, of all time, so he said, I just had to be careful in that, but uh, Jones is still considered pound for pound probably the best fighter in UFC, and it was another great good win for him. At least he's fighting. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, he's actually now, he was suspended for 15 months for uh, PED violations and from other violations, and now he's been fighting almost every three, four months, which is great for the UFC because they need to have star power like him. And real quick, boxing, we're going to see Manny Pacquiao back in the ring soon. July 20th 
Now, really, as I said, that's the only, that's the last boxing match I can see in the horizon that's going to be of any like excitement. But it's going to be great. Keith Thurman is a welterweight, is the champion, is undefeated, is really, really good fighter. And I, was, I thought he'd have higher odds against Pacquiao, and it's almost an even fight. And it's great when you see a fight like that with Pacquiao, with this great champion who's won all these titles and everything. Um, I think it's going to be exciting to see. I want to see if Pacquiao's experience and the wars he's been through, and he still has you know, the speed and the power and the quickness against Thurman. It's, gonna, it's July 20th. It's two weeks away, but I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be a great boxing match. Okay, real quick, talking about golf, 3M Open is in the books. There's a, a champion who nobody knew who his name was uh, about six days ago, basically. Got a very quirky swing, too, but it obviously works for him. It's Matthew Wolf, and he did something that I believe just Tiger Woods and uh, Arnold Palmer have achieved before. Which is win uh, the NCAA title and then... Win a, um, win a tour or, event. Or, Win, what's what? Win NCAA title and then win a match within six weeks. Yeah, uh, in the same season. Yes, same season. Right. So he won. He won the title for Oklahoma State, and then six weeks later, and it's great. He wins it, so he doesn't have to worry about his tourney card. I mean, that was uh, that was. Uh, so he gets. He gets. He doesn't have to go to Q school or anything like that. So he's in there. But he's the first player since Jordan Spieth to win before he turned twenty-one, and it was interesting. He won with an eagle on the last hole. Uh, a birdie would have tied him with uh, Bryson DeChambeau for a playoff, and he actually made an eagle and won the tournament. That, it's a great way to win it. Um, and, and there were some interesting players in this field. Tony Finau was in there. He finished 23rd place. Kapka was in the field. He finished 65th, and Jason Day was in it. Um, so it, it was in the first tournament in Minnesota in a while in terms of a, a, a stop. Uh, it, supposedly the crowds, I mean, I watched it on TV, and you saw the attendance. It broke all attendance records. It was great. Uh, it just shows you that you know, golf can be successful in these places without even Tiger or any of the huge names there, but it did very, very well. Um, this week, John Deere, the John Deere Classic is in Illinois. I, I looked at the field. There's not, like, I think a top 30 or 40 player in that field. And then uh, the British Open is next week, which is going to be fantastic in Ireland. You've got all the great golfers there. It's the last major of the year. So you're going to end. Wimbledon's going to end. The All-Star Game's going to be over. And then you've got next week, you're going to get the, you're gonna get the, uh, the British Open. Um, Ira, do you happen to know why so many of these great golfers flock to Oklahoma State? I mean, Matthew Wolf is a California boy going to play at Oklahoma State. Ricky Fowler, another kid from California, went to play golf at Oklahoma State. Is there something in the water there? <laughs> well, they have a great golf program, a great golf school, and, uh, um, they, and, and a great golf coach. And I think and that's, uh, and that's, that's what I think for, that's what drives, draws uh, these players to go to these schools in terms of where, the, where they want to play. I think it's really the program, the, the courses they play on, the amount of commitment the schools make to the budget. Uh, everything is it's, it's very much coach-driven. I mean, Penn State has a great wrestling coach. People want to go there. Clemson was, if Clemson didn't have Dabo Sweeney as a football coach, I don't think everyone would go to Clemson to play. <laughs> it's just, it, that's why these coaches get paid so much at the college level. They, they make a difference, and, uh, and, that's, and, and so that it's the coach uh, drawing these star players there. Uh, Ira, before we wrap it up, um, you said uh, maybe taking in some baseball this week. What, what are the plans? Um, I would say Yankees on this weekend in New York. But, uh, no, it's a, I would, I, um, it is definitely one of those, I mean, you're, getting, you're gearing up, and we're going to start talking. Also, some people we know listen to our show said, we're going to start talking about football. And, and definitely we have football coming up. I mean, you know, I know the schedule. I've mapped everything out. I mean, this is – and football is going to come a lot faster than people think. I mean, it is starting earlier this year for college football. And uh, you know, in, the, in, in August, we talked about this a few months ago, the Miami-Florida State game in the, in the, in the third week of August. 
so it's, it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, college football this year is going to be great. Pro football is going to be out of this world. I'm getting ready for fantasy. We'll talk about fantasy. I've, I've, I mean, I spend like 20 minutes a day doing fantasy, getting ready. So it, it's going to be really exciting, and I can't wait to tar- start talking about football. Yeah, and on that note, though, we are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.